Welcome to The Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Morning and welcome to The Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes. And for the next few minutes, I would like to ask you to please stay tuned. This will be 30 minutes of motivation, inspiration, education, always done without any manipulation. We always say the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And our source is the canon of Scripture, the Bible. That's right, it's a show about the Bible, but not a political talk show. No, this is a show about the mechanics to living God's plan for your life. If I can give you that information, if I can verify it and identify it, then my prayer is that you would orient and adjust to the plan. That's up to you, but I want to get it accurate. I want to give it right. I want to give you information that you can use and that God can be glorified as a result of what you do. I want to start off this morning by giving you a wonderful verse, a verse that I like to quote consistently, daily. It says, This is the day the Lord has made. This is Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and have a superabundance of happiness in it because of his unfailing love and mercy every day. Obviously, that's a modified, expanded translation. And the Bible doesn't say in the Greek New Te- Old Testament, superabundance. That's a term we use, but this is the day. It's a day of opportunity. Now, think about this for just for a minute. You got up this morning. This is your day of opportunity like no other day. It's, it's a day that God has given you. It is a time for you to strike, not withdraw, time to move forward. And God is going to give you a super abundance of happiness in it because he never fails you. Think about that. We fail him. He never fails us. His unfailing love and mercy extends to us every day. So this is a particular day, this Sunday. This is the day you're listening to this radio show, and listen to this. I do a lot of fishing, and I remember something I heard a long time ago that said, red sky at night is a sailor's delight. But a red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. I bet you've heard that old fisherman's wisdom, too. Well, this morning, when you awakened in your city, wherever you may be across this great country where this radio show is playing, the sky is foretailing a foretailing of storms on the horizon, I promise you. And this sky that we have, figuratively speaking, is going to grow darker because the storm clouds are approaching the United States of America. The question is, how bad is the storm going to be and what can we do about it? Philippians 2, 14 and 15 has an interesting concept where Paul told those people that lived in Philippi to do all things without complaining. <laughs> that doesn't sound like us in the middle of a political season talking about an opponent that we don't like. Do all things without complaining. Don't argue. Don't argue. Don't complain. That's kind of hard for Christians sometimes, isn't it? Don't argue and don't complain, especially if you get into politics. Why should you do that? Why should you not argue and not complain? Listen to the next part of the verse. So that, that's a purpose clause, so that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation among whom 
And here's the part I want to get to. You shine as lights in the world. Shine. The Greek word phino, P-H-A-I-N-O, phino. And it's a present passive indicative in the morphology of that verb. What does that mean? The present tense is the durative. It means you're always to shine. The passive does says, says you're not receiving the action. I mean, you're not producing the action. You're receiving the action. And that's God, the Holy Spirit, shining through you, replicating the life of Christ. And the indicative mood is dogmatic reality. You are to shine. The word shine or fino means to expose. And thus... We are to shine as lights in the world. The personality traits that make us appealing to others in the time of a crisis. We don't complain. We don't argue. We're blameless. We're harmless. We're without fault. That, that's what attracts people to you if your light is shining. Recently, I spoke in a church in Houston, Texas, and shined a flashlight out over the audience to illustrate this concept. Here's a beautiful illustration of what God wants you to be. This is a story about the Navy captain who was told by the man on the radar that there was another ship off the bow in the fog-shrouded night. The captain and his belligerents gave orders to the radio man to alert the other vessel to move or be prepared to be rammed. The unknown vessel replied to the captain's threat these words, Take your best shot, Captain. This is a lighthouse. <laughs> wow. Guess who is the lighthouse? We are the lighthouse. You are a lighthouse, whether you recognize it or not. Now, where did I get that? Matthew 5:14. You are the light of the world. That's taken from the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes, where he talked about the light and the salt and the light and it means we are a preservative and we are an enlightener. We are the light of the world. You, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are the light in the storm. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, Jesus went on to say, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your divine good production and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine. Shine is the aristocratic imperative of Lampo, L-A-M-P-O. And this is a command. This is not a request. The imperative mood is the mood of command. And you, the active voice, you got to do it. Someone can't do it for you. You have to make a volitional decision that you are going to let your light shine today, the day the Lord has made. This is your day of opportunity. So could I ask you a simple question? How do you let your light shine? What are the mechanics? Okay, I want to let my light shine today. Does that mean you're just going to walk around all sweet and nice and hello, brother, praise the Lord, sister, so good to have you. Aren't you having a wonderful day, brother? Does this mean you're supposed to go around encouraging everybody, giving them a pat on the back? That's not what this is referring to, no. That might be a nice thing to do, but that's not letting your light shine as a believer. 
Number one, if you want to let your light shine, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't do it in the energy of the flesh. That's why problem-solving device number one, rebound, is essential. Because with unconfessed sin in your life, you've quenched the Holy Spirit. And you've grieved the Holy Spirit. And he cannot shine out of you. Your batteries will be really dim. So you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells you this in Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the Spirit. The Bible also tells you in Galatians that there's a war going on with inside of you, and the flesh is battling against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. They're contrary one to the other. So the Bible is clear. It says if you'll walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, you were given the Holy Spirit the moment you got saved. Christ sent him to you. He said he would be your guide, your tutor, that he would guide you into all truth. He would mentor you. If he is going to be able to reflect the life of Christ through you, if you're going to brilliantly shine the life of Christ, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. That means you've got to keep a short account of your sin. Don't let sin get into your life and not confess it. If you sin and don't name it to God, you quench the Holy Spirit, you grieve the Holy Spirit, you're out of fellowship with God, your spiritual life stalls out, and you say, what what do you mean sin? Well, remember, it comes in three categories, something you think, something you say, or something you do. Don't wait until you go to bed at night to confess your sin. Name your sin when it occurs. If you're going to have a light shining, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit to reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. Number two, you have to be a learner. And that means you have to go through a spiritual maturation process, the process of maturing. If you don't go through the spiritual maturation process, you're not ever going to grow up as a believer. You can't stay a baby believer all your life. Hebrews 5 talks about baby believers on the bottle, and they haven't grown up yet. You can read it for yourself, Hebrews 5, 11 through 16. Jesus Christ said to you in Matthew eleven twenty nine, speaking to his disciples, Take my yoke on you and learn of me. Learn of me. Learn requires you do something. It requires you hear, the Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. If you don't hear the Word of God taught, you're not going to learn anything. Now God equipped pastor teachers, Ephesians 4. He gave them a spiritual gift so that we might all come to the same mind, the Bible says in Ephesians 4. He wants us all to be equipped with the mind of Christ so we can reflect Christ as a light through us. We have to be a learner. We have to learn how to handle our difficulties and the adversities. And we saw how the Lord was tested beginning in Matthew 4 with a trip to the wilderness and temptation with Satan right off the bat. He would not have gone through that if he hadn't have been spiritually mature as a man at that point in time. We're talking about the God-man. Undiminished deity, yes, he was God. And true humanity, yes, he was a man. And what he went through, it's called evidence testing. Satan tested him. And Satan will test you. Jesus warned Peter, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will be tested and you will fail. Peter didn't like that. 
but he did fail. He denied the Lord three times. The Lord didn't deny him. The Lord didn't fire him from being an apostle. He forgave him. You must grow. You must be prepared to take the test. And if you're going to go through the spiritual maturation process, you've got to be a learner. You've got to have correct priorities. What are your priorities in your life? Here's what the Bible says. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all of your logistical needs will be added to you. Matthew 6, You get your priorities right. You seek God's word first, his kingdom. And everything else will fall in line. And lastly, you must be willing to give it all. You must be willing to give it all. Not part of your life, not part of you. I'll give you Sunday and Wednesday, God, but the rest of the time is mine. Keep your hands off. It's for me. Well, I got news for you. If that's your attitude, you might as well stumble on down the my way highway and get swept up in the cosmic vortex of life. Because here's what the Bible said. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to the disciples, if any man's going to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Your priority must be the will of God. Your priority must be where does God want me to serve? What does God want me to learn? What does God want me to say? What does God want me to do with my life? If you don't have that priority, you will never fulfill your spiritual destiny because God left you here for a reason. That reason is to glorify him in a particular manner in which he equipped you with a spiritual gift. If you're not willing to give it all, if you're not willing to put that as priority number one and put yourself aside, then you are never, ever, ever going to hear, well done. In Luke 19, the servant heard, well done. You're not going to hear that. You're going to get to look like, what did you do, loser, with your time? You didn't glorify me. You spent your time chasing your own tail, the frantic search for happiness. And you never found it, did you? The only way that you're ever going to let your light shine is to be accomplished by growing in grace and renovating the way you're thinking. And the end result is that you begin to think with divine viewpoint. Divine viewpoint. When you have divine viewpoint, it reflects the mind of Christ. It reflects that by means of your life, by means of your word. You think like he thought. And you keep pressing forward at all times. Press forward at all times. Sure you'll fail. Sure you will mess up. Sure you will sin. Get up. Rebound. Move forward. Listen to what Paul said again in Philippians 3:13 and 14. He said, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. I forget those things that are behind me, and I reach forward to the things that are ahead of me. I press to the prize, the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. How many times have you been knocked down? Have you gone over to sit on the sideline and had a pity party? Have you told yourself, I'm not a very good Christian or I wouldn't have done that? And Satan's giggling at you. He's laughing at you. He's got you looking at yourself, hasn't he? 
instead of looking at the grace of God. Do you understand something here? If God was through with you, you would already be dead. He's not through with you. The fact that you're listening to this radio show means God is giving you an opportunity to understand this. He is not through with you. Confess your sin. Get up. Find you a qualified pastor and start studying daily and start growing daily and press forward and forget about your failures. In Psalm 119, verse 130, the entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. What does that mean? It means the more the Word of God you learn, the light goes on in your soul, and you will have insight to why you do what you do. You will have insight and understanding in wisdom and application. So the psalmist prayed in Psalm 43.3, Send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. God will lead you with the light of his Word. The Holy Spirit will illuminate your trail. So what does all of this light and metaphor stuff really mean? Here's what it means. It means that your very existence depends on light. You couldn't live without light. God created the light for you. In 1 John 1, 5, the Bible says God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. What does that mean? It means he doesn't deceive us. There's no deception in God. Nothing's hidden. He's all revealing. He's all glory. He's all majesty. He created light. In Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Why did God make light? And why did he make darkness? I think to reflect himself. I mean, even the lost man, a person that's not a Christian, can see God's reflective power and grace in the light that God provides faithfully for him every day. Listen to Isaiah, what Isaiah said about this. Isaiah 45, verse 6 and 7, that they may know from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, that's every day, that there's none beside me. I am the Lord. There is no other. I form light. I create darkness. I make peace. I create calamity. I, the Lord, do all of these things. God made the light and made the darkness. We were created to resolve an angelic conflict. Maybe you haven't heard that word before, but it's the difference between light and darkness. It's symbolic of the difference between good and evil. Remember, in eternity past, Satan sinned and fell from heaven, and he was able to persuade many, 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 maybe as much as a third of the angels to follow him. And he was tried and convicted and found guilty and sentenced to the lake of fire and cast out of heaven and destroyed the place he went to called earth. God renewed this planet. He restored order to what was chaotic. God created a cosmos out of chaos and changed disorder to order. I read that somewhere. That's not my own thinking, but... I like what it said. He, he changed disorder to order. He created the cosmos out of the chaos. Yes, he did. And he put man right in the middle of it. And the reason you're here is to resolve the angelic conflict. 
Satan had a choice, and he chose in his arrogance to rebel. Adam had a choice, and Adam chose to sin. Satan was kicked out of heaven. Adam kicked out of the garden. But Adam accepted the forgiveness offered in grace. In Genesis 3.15, the Bible talks about what Satan will expect in the future when his head will be crushed by the lamb. And Adam, through Adam, sin came into the world, like you and me, but the Bible says that, for by one man centered into the world and death by sin, and now death has come to all, for all have sinned. Had Adam not sinned, he would have lived forever in the garden. But he sinned. He became contaminated with an old sin nature. So God created order, a cosmos. In Psalm 19, 1 and 2, the heavens declare the glory of God, and his firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day they utter speech, and night unto night they reveal knowledge. Even a lost man with not much education can look at the sun and look at the stars and realize that somebody put it there and somebody holds it in place. That light always reminds us of God's character and God's grace. That's why the psalmist wrote these words in Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He is my light. He's my revealer. He shows me my path. He illuminates my life. You are a point of light to the unbeliever. Your job is to enlighten him. That's your objective in witnessing. To effectively represent Jesus Christ. You enlighten him by exposing him, the unbeliever, to the danger of rejecting Jesus Christ. And you can illuminate his path to eternal life with what you say, with how you live. In John 8, 12, then spoke Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Amazing. He is light, and he lights our path. He reveals to us what we should do. It's all in God's word. Darkness, on the other hand, binds up the, the lost man to the to the uh, dangers that he's about to encounter. He's blind in the darkness. He can't see anything. He can't comprehend. He can't know. He can't understand. He's in the darkness. And that's the way Satan wants to keep him. That's why God left you here. After your salvation, your job is to reflect the light of Christ through the gospel and to guide that lost man to Christ, to reveal to him his hope, expose to him the danger, and illuminate the path. In the storms of history at night, with no rudder to steer on a boat in a storm, what would a person do on the middle of a lake and, and, and no rudder and the boat broke down and it's a storm coming? What's he going to do? He's going to look for a house with a light on it. And he's going to paddle for all he's worth to get to that light. Because that's safety. That's rescue. And there is a time coming in this country, in the future of American history, when people will do everything they can to come to you. Because you're a light. You're safety. Your light will expose both sin and evil and reveal 
your divine good production. Do you remember Nicodemus in John chapter 3 who came to Jesus under the cover of darkness? Isn't that interesting? He snuck in at night to inquire of Jesus. John 3, 2, the same came to Jesus by night. Our Lord was frankly amazed at Nicodemus because he didn't know much about salvation. Listen to what he told him in John 3.10. Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Jesus asked him. And our Lord went on to give him the verse that we all know, John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then he explained to him how he, Christ, as the light, exposes sin and evil to the world. John 3.18, he said these words, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19, and this is the condemnation, that the light, Christ, came into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. It does not come to the light lest his evil deeds be exposed. But he who does the truth will come to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. That's why people don't want the light. They want to operate in the darkness to hide and cover their sin. Evil hates light. Phoneros is the word for evil. It's the character of those that practice evil. It's seen in their thoughts and in their speech and in their actions. They don't want the light. The light exposes them for what they are. And the light reveals their true character. Today as you're listening to me, what does the light do for you? As a believer in Jesus Christ, has your light grown dim? Are you not studying? Are you not growing? I don't mean a little five-minute devotion. I mean, are you growing, not you teaching yourself? Are you under the ministry of a pastor who's qualified to teach you the Bible? And are you studying daily? Are you staying filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you letting your light shine? Are you illuminating the path to God and revealing the danger of sin and evil? Not by preaching and pointing out but by being without fault and without blame in the devil's world. There is a plan for you. God wants you to shine brightly. You must turn on the switch. I hope you're listening. I hope you're paying attention. Because it's not going to just happen until you decide you want to be glory for God. And it'll work. Till next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes saying thank you for listening to The Floodline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.